like the Buffalo Bills. What's up, Buffalonians? It's your boy, Nick English. If you want the facts, the stats, and all the sports info in the 716, you have come to the right place. This is English Encore, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. I'm your host, Nick English, joined by my co-host, Andrew Ogowich. We are back following the Bills' 33-27 overtime loss Sunday afternoon. Andrew was lucky enough to be at this game. I got to see him while he was down in Tampa. For those who didn't get a chance to watch the game or maybe turn it off based on what you saw in the first half, um, you saw a Bills team that was down 24-3 make an emphatic comeback, get it tied 27-27, get the ball first in overtime, unable to score, and then Brasad Perriman gets a 60-yard touchdown to end the game kind of crushed the Bills' hopes. This game was all over the place. It looked like the Bills had laid down and died and that this team was going in a very wrong direction. And then they fought all the way back, and now a lot of people are feeling a lot better than they did um, in the past few weeks. Um, Andrew, you were at the game, so I'm going to kind of just let you take the listener through – the whole game day experience, maybe your interactions with Buccaneers fans, um, the ups and downs of the game, and maybe just because I know you had texted me about, you know, Josh's run that looked like was going to be a touchdown and win us the game. How close was it? Because you were at the game, so you couldn't really tell. Maybe some of the penalty calls or non-calls that you got to see in person compared to what you saw maybe on Twitter or, you know, other social medias after the game. Yeah. So, um, first off, it was great seeing you again in person, Nick. Yes. It's been a while, right, so it was right, good seeing right you. back at you. We, uh, we got to hang out with Bill's Mafia at the official Bill's Backers Bar down there in Tampa. So Some Labatt Blues and Blue Lights. Yeah. yeah. It, was a, it was a good time. Um but yeah, I mean, the game as a whole, the whole game day experience, it was awesome, right? Tons of Bills fans. I'm not sure how well that came across on TV, um, but lots of blue and red. Uh, Bills fans everywhere. Uh, really, really cool experience to kind of talk to a bunch of Bills fans from all over the place, not just from Buffalo that were down there and um, got to party with them the night before, like I said, and then um, during the tailgate. And then, I mean, during the game, Right. That first half was right. Terrible. It was, uh, it was awful. Totally brought down the mood. Right. Um, I had said last week that I didn't expect them to win. I just wanted it to be competitive, be close. And that was the exact opposite. Right. It was awful. They couldn't do anything. Um, really, really frustrating to sit there and watch. Um, but then the second half came, uh, happened and, uh, the team came alive. The Bills fans came alive. I don't know how loud it sounded on TV, but, man, it, it got was, loud. It got Especially loud in the, fourth, in the fourth on the TV. Yeah, the fourth quarter was incredible. It felt like a home game. Um, Bills fans were loud. Um, the team was going, so that was really, really cool to be a part of. Um, and then, you know, didn't didn't go our way at the end there. Um, man. Tampa fans are just terrible human beings. Terrible. Te- it was awful. It was an awful experience. Um, 
I will say, like, I don't think I'm mentally tough enough to be an away fan. Like, it's hard to be an away fan. I mean, you just, you're an easy target. You get the whole book thrown at you like, oh, you haven't won any Super Bowls. You stink. Josh Allen's terrible, right? Any, any. We're Champa Bay, baby. Yeah, any pre-canned insult that you can think of or that you've heard being a Bills fan. It was yelled at me um just consistent ridiculousness and then walking out at the end of the game was awful they got they get in your face they're right up on your ear yelling at you and um it's just like what is happened what is wrong with you people like it was bad like i know right i've I've been to many bills games in orchard park right i know how it can be between opposing fans but like i've all the games I've been to, I've never seen away fans treated the way I was treated on the way out. It was, it was bad. Like it was rough. And I, that's pretty consistent from what I've heard from other folks who were at the game as well. Like it was bad. I mean, these idiots have had Tom Brady for a season and a half and they're already acting like Boston sports fans, like just entitled pricks that just have no business chirping the way they're chirping. Yeah. You won the game. So that's fine. Go ahead. But just like the, the shit they were saying, the way they were saying it, right up in your face, uh, incredibly obnoxious. I can't stand their ridiculous chants. Like their chant, is they yell, someone yells Tampa and everyone answers Bay. Cannot stand it. It's almost as stupid as Jacksonville chanting Duval. Like, congratulations. You idiots know where you live. So that pissed me off all game. That put me in a terrible mood. Could not stand that. I don't know why. It just pissed me off. Like, good job. You know the name of the town you live in. It's so stupid. But, um, yeah, so the fans are terrible. It was an awful experience. But like I said, I don't think I'm mentally tough enough to be an away fan. <laughs> like, it just – it's not easy. Hats off to people who travel everywhere with the team and go to a bunch of away games. Um, it's not easy to do. It was a cool experience, though, right? All in all, I'm glad I went. Um, it's a cool stadium that they have. Uh, second time I've been in that stadium. Um, but yeah, I don't know the game, the second half was fun. It was a lot of fun being there. Right. Um, holding out hope that maybe it would go our way and then it didn't. Um, like you mentioned, I did text you on Josh's run there towards the end where he stepped out at the seven. It looked like he was in from where I was. So I was on since section one Oh eight. So it was like the 15 yard line on the end zone that they were going towards in the fourth right at the end so they were action was right in front of me the whole time on the 15 yard line um probably about 15 yards up tampa bay sideline um so i had great great seats uh, perspective for that last drive and the comeback everything was right in front of me which was pretty pretty cool um so yeah so i texted you about josh's run it looked like he was in um couldn't see the footsteps obviously uh out of bounds and i will say from my vantage point the digs hold um right on third and six or whatever third and down i couldn't see Diggs's jersey being pulled down i didn't see it I, so it's plausible that the ref didn't see it in real time. Now that doesn't mean that the booth refs or anyone else shouldn't have the power to stop it and say, Oh no, 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 hold on a second. 
there was something there, but from where I was, I would have had, obviously I'm not as close as that ref was, but I had a pretty similar vantage point as what that ref would or whatever. It didn't look like it. It just looked like it was a tough play, two guys battling for a ball. Um, so I, in the moment, I didn't think there was a, a penalty warranted. Obviously we go, we, if you turn on Twitter, that picture's everywhere of uh, Diggs's jersey being pulled to the ground um, and clearly a missed call by every stretch of the imagination. Um, but live in real time, didn't look like it. They didn't play any replays on any of the screens of it. So, like, that kind of clues you into, all right, there was something wrong there. Um, and then on the Evans play, that was on the other side of the field, on the other sideline from me. It looked like they were hand fighting. You couldn't really tell from where I was. And again, it was another play. They didn't have a replay of it. So again, that clues you into, hey, there was something, something not right about it. Um, but yeah, it just, refing, man, it's just been a constant theme in the NFL, right? I mean, every team is getting screwed. Um, I wouldn't say every team. Good majority of teams are getting screwed. Um it's it's tough to watch when call when um, games just aren't being called fairly, right? Like, I don't care if either call everything or call nothing, right? Like, that's where I get frustrated with the ref uh, issues. Is if you're gonna make calls on the Bills defense, you have to make those exact same calls on the Bucks defense, and that's not what happened on Sunday. Um, and that's my issue with it, right? If you want to be flag happy, go right ahead, but call it consistently on both sides. If both sides are committing those penalties that you think are penalties, you sure as shit better call those, right? The Bills aren't, right, shouldn't get away scotch-free, right? They make some bad calls, they make some bad plays, and they deserve to be penalized. Um, but it's got to go both ways. And it, it just it didn't on Sunday. And it, it cost us. Now, right? They the Bills had opportunities to score more points and they didn't, right? They put themselves in that situation where it came down to refs screwing you over. So um they're not scot-free in all of this, right? They are still at fault. They had many opportunities to score and not be in that situation where it came down to overtime or came down to a last second drive on the doorstep, right? The play calling on that last drive where they tied it up. Again, the same is two weeks in a row. Now you're in the red zone. You're on the doorstep. Why the fuck is your six, five quarterback not having the ball in his hands? Now I know he had the toe injury, whatever, but still like a fade to the corner of the end zone. Come on. You, you, you really going to make me believe that your red zone goal line offense only has a fade to Stefan Diggs in it. That's bullshit. Right. Like there's got to be other op options for your offense to score there. Um, but they walk away with a penalty or a field goal, forces to go to overtime, and then you get the ball and you go three and out because you decide to run. You didn't run the ball once in that first half. You storm all the way back, right? You have the momentum. You win the coin toss in overtime. You're playing in Tampa Bay against the defending Super Bowl champions, against your arch nemesis, Tom Brady. And what do you do? You run on first down? Like, what? It's just stupid, stupid shit like that, where it's like, 
if they hadn't done that and they tried to do everything perfectly and then the penalty bullshit happened, then I'd be a little more like upset about it. But it's like, no, like, again, this team is just shitting in their own pants and shooting themselves in the foot. And it's like, guys, you got to help yourselves. Like they are doing nothing to help themselves again for another week in a row. Um, So yeah, so you go three and out, you punt it. And the one time all day that having Trey hurts is on the play that ends the game, right? The walk-off play. Like, I thought they played the defense, the secondary played the secondary. I think the secondary played really well without Trey back there, right? They held their own, a few misses here and there, whatever. But all in all, I think they did an awesome job without, you know, your anchor in the secondary. But one play, you give it up. They're not in the right spot um, or right, whatever. And they break free and, and get the walk-off touchdown. And that's where it hurts you. And it's tough. It's, it's tough. Um, but Tremaine Edmonds was awful on Sunday. Absolutely awful. Terrible, terrible. He was missing tackles. He was just pussyfooting around, trying to get into holes, just not doing it. Like, he was bad. He was a liability on Sunday. 110% a liability on Sunday. Like, worst game I've ever seen him play. It was disgusting to watch. It was awful, awful to watch. Um, that, that was really disappointing to see. Uh, and the last point I'll make, right, thinking about back to the game, the line again let Josh down, right? The first half was terrible. Couldn't stop anything. Uh, and defensive line on the other side, too. They got no push. Absolutely. Tom Brady had all day, had a day and a half. Um, and that you just you can't have it. That just can't happen. The trenches, again, are killing you. And surprise, surprise, Starla Tulele wasn't, wasn't available, wasn't out there. Like, I'm so sick of him. I'm sick of him hurting this team by not being available. When he is there, he's doing nothing. It's just like huge miss if bean doesn't do anything then we've got a big problem that stems outside of the coaching outside of the roster now it's the front office that's causing issues for you um but all that being said we're still clinging on to the seventh seventh seed right we still have a chance to win out to make the playoffs to be in a good position it's gonna be a wild end right we've been saying that all season it's gonna be a wild end and I really like, I'm not discouraged about the rest of the season because of this game. I'm discouraged with how the game ended. Um, but they proved that they can play with anyone. They can turn it on when it needs to be turned on. They scored how many points unanswered. They shut out uh, the Buccaneers or just about shut out the Buccaneers in that second half, right? Like it, they looked really freaking good. And that's the reason this team is still at the top of power rank. That's the reason this team is still favored because it's a great ass team. It's a great roster. It's just those little things that got to stop shooting themselves in the foot and they can't stop doing that. And that's what hurts them. That's why they're 0 and 5 in one score games is because of the little stuff, the details. Um, so that's what's frustrating about it. I'm not down on this team. I'm down about Sunday, but um, I'm, I'm excited for the last few weeks, last four weeks to see what happens. I am in a mood today 
just gonna get out in front of that now. Um, I am down on this team, and it's not for one single player on the Buffalo Bills roster. I am down on this team because of Sean McDermott. What happened Sunday was Josh Allen putting his nuts on the table is what is bailing out the conversations that we're having this week. Because if he doesn't do what he did and pass for 300 yards, run for 100 yards, put the team on his back, and everyone's talking about how the refs fucked the Bills, we're not talking about what on earth happened in the first half that is a complete reflection of your game planning for the week, how you're prepared for the game, and it is a complete 1,000% reflection on your head coach. And we got bullied in the first half. Inexcusable. Mind you, not even seven days earlier, this is the same fucking coach that in his post game didn't want to give one single ounce of credit to Bill Belichick. Think about that. Not one ounce of credit to him and you come out and you do that in the first half. And then instead of going for it, you decide to run a fake punt. And then later in the game on a fourth and three, when you're down by, I think, 14 or seven, I think it was 14. And you punt the ball because you're confident in your defense and then the Bucs proceed to eat seven minutes off the clock and get three points, and now you're down 17? Like, what is that? That's just inexcusable. Like, I just cannot understand. And I've been one of the first people to defend Sean McDermott time and time again. I still think, like I said, Dable would have been the first one to go. But my God, Sean, no more clappy, clap, clap. Like, what are we doing? And what makes me even more mad, and a bit, the Bills Twitter account really got me going today because the reason I was most mad on them punting when they did, and I'm actually one of the probably few people that I thought they should have went for it on the fourth and two or fourth and three at the end of the game instead of kicking it. I would have rather have lost the game in regulation than went to overtime. The way the momentum was going – I thought you had your chance and I just keep going back to this Tennessee game. And the first thing after that is Sean McDermott saying, I would roll with 17, like 10 times out of 10, Josh Allen, hundred times out of a hundred in the chiefs game. I would let Josh Allen hurdle me for a first down. If it gives us a win, that clearly is not what you're thinking. I don't care if Josh was hurt or not. The adrenaline was going. He was still running the ball on that final drive fairly well. He's six foot five. And you're telling me, like you said, your best play at the end of the game is to fade the digs. Don't get me wrong. Stefan Diggs is a top five receiver. He got held on like three different calls that he didn't even get one single look at for a penalty. Meanwhile, Mike Evans is pulling Levi Wallace into him and getting penalties. And Dane Jackson's playing tight coverage and getting penalties. And you get to these situations on fourth and two and fourth and three during the game. And the game's on the line. What do you want to do? and you're not putting it in Josh's hands. And then later today, they're tweeting out how 
all the players are behind 17, this, that, and the third. I'm like, then fucking show it. Go for it on fourth and two. Go for it on fourth and three. Put the game in your $250 million quarterback's hands. That game was a representation for everyone that's been hating on Josh Allen's contract, sometimes us included, of why he got paid that money and why we are never out of any single game because our quarterback is a physical specimen and can do that even on one leg. But we're not talking about any of that. I haven't heard much other than at halftime when Twitter was scorched earth, everyone thought the Bills were dead and everyone was questioning Sean McDermott. Since then, since the game was over and the penalties and Josh's injury and this, that, and the third, I haven't heard nearly anything about how this team came out ill-prepared under McDermott. It took us until the second half to make any sort of adjustment and we're pussyfooting around if we like, what are we going to see in these final five weeks or four weeks? Excuse me. Like, is this team going to come out and f- play flat? And if we get wins, like no one's going to say anything like this isn't the first time we've come out flat all year. Like it's been happening consistently. Yep. And I feel like myself included has been the first appointed Dable and these other guys and the players and whatnot. And your Edmonds point was, completely spot on. I mean, I was, I was the one who pointed out last week how I wouldn't extend him and don't even get me started on the touchdown run, which again, every week we have a long touchdown run, but Edmonds literally went up and engaged with the lineman instead of trying to tackle the player. Like, I don't know what he was doing, but my God, Sean McDermott, the guy that we just extended through 2025 or whatever year it is, the guy that last year was going for it all the time and everyone was loving his aggressiveness. All of a sudden we've come back down to conservative, like that fake. What was that fake punt? What are you doing? Thankfully I was in line for the bathroom. I didn't, I missed it because I, I, just, I had to, get, I had to get out of the stands. I had to go pee. I had to get something to cut like a drink to calm down. Like I had to walk away. So thankfully I missed it because I heard on post game, People said we're talking about the fake punt. I was like, "What fake punt? I don't. I didn't see a fake punt." So I had to go look it up on on Twitter. But yeah, it's just I just we've preached this culture and clapping the hands, and we're fundamentally sound, and this, that, and the third, and I would ride and die with Josh Allen, and everything he's been doing the last few weeks is just completely against what he says. Yep. And then, like, the cherry on top is there's Tom Brady just yeah. smiling in your face, and you Breaking can't do anything. Record. Yeah, and you can't do a single damn thing about it. And it doesn't even – my weekly mention of here's Brandon Bean, you know, my weekly mention of Brandon Bean, what are you doing? Another week, here's a second-round pick, Boogie Basham, in street clothes, again, making zero impact, and we're having these – two big-ass linemen off our practice squad coming in and playing. Because, again, star is unavailable. And then you drafted Rousseau and Basham, and you had Epinesa for the reason of, oh, we can cut, you know, Hughes and Addison's playing time in half, and they're going to be better. Those guys haven't been relevant at all. Your best pass rusher yesterday or on Sunday was Matt Milano. Matt Milano was getting through the line consistently. It made a huge sack. 
you know, the secondary did as well as it probably could have done. I thought Dane Jackson had an awesome game. Um, Edmonds was brutal, but it just, we couldn't get stops when we needed to, you know, the defense made a few good stops in the second half, but then there's plays like where the one he throws it right to Dane Jackson and he drops it. Tom Brady gives you one to two chances a game for a play like that to happen. And you just don't make it. And then the one where he's getting sacked and he's throwing off his back foot 30 felt like the ball was in the air for five minutes. And Taron Johnson basically gets mossed along the sideline by Mike Evans and Jordan Poyer couldn't get over there. Just little things like that. Our defense can't prevent the one to two big plays that they're giving up every single game that make our stats look better than they actually are. Josh again was running for his life. I don't know why Feliciano didn't get thrown in at some point. I don't know if they didn't want to rush him. If they're saying he's the emergency center and that's why they didn't want to get him in. Um, You know, Emmanuel Sanders gets hurt, but the offense doesn't miss a beat because something I mentioned way back at the beginning of the season, I don't know why it took them so long to get Gabriel Davis involved in the offense because the dude can play and Cole Beasley continues to show his value when he gets lined up one-on-one. There's not very many guys in the league that can cover him. And the other thing that's concerning me about the Bills, if you haven't seen on Twitter today, the NFL in general and NBA and a bunch of other sports are really starting to have COVID outbreaks. So when we were in middle school and high school and you're flushing your ice cubes down your toilet and putting spoons under your pillow hoping for a snow day, you better be doing that same shit hoping the Bills don't get it because they're one of the lowest vaccinated teams in the league. And this team's already in a weird spot as is. Luckily, we didn't have any today. Knock on wood for the next, you know, few days. But man, if this team gets in COVID trouble, we're going to have a real tough time. And I know a lot of Bills fans are really confident going into this Panthers game based on the fact that Cam Newton was benched and then went back in and back out and PJ Walker. And, you know, they have a bunch of injuries and they really haven't done anything. I mean, they lost the Falcons. We already lost the Jaguars this year. This isn't a team we can take lightly. Josh is obviously banged up. It doesn't seem like he's going to miss this week. I think you'd have to literally pry him off the field and tell him he can't play to not play this week. Clearly the foot injury is going to be something you have to monitor. And for a team that can't run the ball, not the most ideal situation considering Josh ran for 100. And then when they actually did mix in the few runs they had, they used it once in overtime, which was stupid. And then the three other times he mixed in Singletary, he broke like 20-yard runs. It's like it's that timing we've been talking about of Dable mixing in the runs when you can. And it was just a very frustrating game all the way around because they came out flat. McDermott's making all these bullshit decisions. You storm all the way back after you lose that game on Monday night against the Patriots. You're about to give it to Tom Brady and you shoot yourself in the foot with a combination of that uh, bad play calling and then the refs screwing you. You go to OT, you don't score. Mike Evans pulls Levi Wallace down, and then they have the dumb CBS guy that comes in and Gene Steratore and tells you, oh, well, if it was me out there, you know, I would have just went with a no-caller offensive pass interference because Evans pulled him. Well, that's great, Gene. You're not on the fucking field, so I don't really give a shit what you have to say. Right. It's just so many emotions in this game. But like you said, 
we're sitting here with a good chance to win our last four. You know, New England's obviously the toughest. You, I'm not like I just said. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're guarantee wins against the Jets, Falcons, and Panthers. But I like our chances, even with Josh at 60, 70 percent. Um, but the rest of this stretch and what you do in the playoffs, I think, is going to say a lot about Shaw McDermott as a coach. And I have a very tough time depending on whether he's offered jobs or how he gets this offense going the rest of the way, seeing Brian Dable back with the bills next year. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to Josh's toe, right. I mean, it's the same injury Patrick Mahomes had at this point last season, right. He played through it. um, And it wasn't a huge issue until the Super Bowl, right. When he couldn't run, barely walk. Right. So um I think Josh is going to be fine, right? There's reports out on Twitter today that he's walking around Buffalo without a boot, without a wrapping, without anything. So hopefully that's a good sign. Um, And, I mean, Sean McDermott said he's day-to-day. So that right there tells you, all right, we're okay. It's not the end of the world. He's going to be fine. Uh, And just knowing Josh, right, he's going to play through anything no matter what. Um, So he'll – he's just – he's incredible, right? Like – we, I was talking to a Bucks fan on the way out, and they were like, oh, I bet you wish you had Fitzpatrick back. I literally asked them to repeat their question like three times because it was so stupid. I was like, no. Like, oh, you're good with Josh Allen? And I stopped, and I looked at him, and I said, I would take a bullet for Josh Allen. And then everyone around me laughed and walked away. I don't think it's that crazy, right? Like, we saw what Josh can do. We know who Josh is. Um Josh is going to win this team a Super Bowl at some point in the near future. I have no doubt about it. Is Sean Sean McDermott the coach to coach them to a Super Bowl? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Hopefully, right? Like, everyone was worried about Josh having a regression this year. Should have been worried about Sean having a regression this year. Um, Right? For all the reasons we've talked about before without end. Um, I just – that second, the second half was like perfect. Like if they could just play like they did in the second half all season long, it would be a way different story, right? Like this aggressive, throwing it around, sharing the love among your receivers with different passes to them, right? The play calls I thought were great. The line held up for the most part. Like it just, it was such a great, there was urgency there was aggression like they just looked like the team you expected them to be going into this year and it's like why why did it take 14 and a half games for you to or technically 13 and a half games to get to that point right like what is it like i i haven't given up on the players i think because like last year i gotta be or last week i was worried that the players were just getting complacent they were falling apart based on all the ridiculous drama that's happening um but that's clearly not the case like this team wants it they're hungry they've got all the pieces um i think they make the playoffs um and i was talking about it with a friend who i saw at the game yesterday at this point yes we want to win the division right that was the goal going into this but honestly at this point with how crazy everything has been i'm almost 
I almost prefer a lower seed in these games. I think we might have been talking about that too at one point. Um, like I almost prefer it, right? Like I said this last week, there is there's not one team in the AFC that scares me. I think whoever we get um, seated up against, we can beat. And all the scenarios I've been able to run, it's either going to be Tennessee, Baltimore, or Kansas City at this point, who we play. I think we can beat all of them. Tennessee, maybe if they get Derrick Henry back, is the only one who worries me. But this team can turn it on. We saw it. We saw it on Sunday. They have the ability to play lights out. Um, If I may interject for a minute. Um, The one big difference, I think, between this year and last year also, and I think this kind of reflects the regression with both Sean McDermott and Brian Dable, and I've seen this stat all over, is in one score games this year, the Bills are 0-5. And I think that's a reflection of you're when you get down to that point last year, we were closing out those games because we had great play calls and you had the proper coaching. And I think this year it's been, we've shot ourselves so many times in the foot. A lot of times when we're getting in these one score games, it's because we didn't execute in the first half or you didn't come out and play with the sense of urgency you needed to. Or when you got late in the game, like we saw, against the Patriots, the play calling was like, what are you doing? It wasn't even really more about the execution. It was like, what is that play call? And I thought last year, outside of the Kyler Murray, Hail Mary, the Bills closed every game pretty soundly. And this year that just hasn't been the case. And I think a big reason for that has to be on coaching because at the end of the day, the players can go out and do as much as they want. And yes, they're the ones that have to make the plays, but if your coaches aren't giving you the putting you in the best situation possible to win it, it's very tough to do, especially when you're going up against the Bill Belichick's, the Bruce Arians. And now that you're want to be considered in that upper echelon of the NFL. Well, guess what? Sean McDermott, it's all well and good that you want to sit up there and on your highest pedestal and think that you're right up there with Bill Belichick and all those guys. That's a great thing to do. But being that and executing that is two completely different things. And right now he's not executing anywhere close to any of those coaches levels. And until otherwise, he has a long way to go. If we want him to be our Super Bowl winning head coach. Yeah. There's just so much panic. I feel for, I don't know what reason, like he just, I think expectations plays a part in it too. And it's like, you have to be, you're in the NFL, put your big boy pants on. Yeah, I don't – and you wouldn't think your head coach was feeding into the hype and the expert, especially Sean, right? Someone who preaches trust the process and just find a way, work hard, gut through it, right? Um, and then to just fall apart like this is just terrible, right? Like these one-point game or the one-score games, right? Like it's desperation mode and they are – um, stammering to try to make up, like you said, to make up games and try to get back over the hill, and then they're they're falling short, they're losing. We're like last year, like you were saying, it's a great point. It was just good games, competitive games back and forth. 
and we came out on top. We out scored, we out did where like this year it's like they're coming from behind and falling short and they're trying to do everything they can to get back and climb their way back up. And it just falls short because if small mistakes happen or the uh, lack of discipline on the line or the injuries on the line, those little things, these little intangible things that like stack up against this team, it just, everything goes to shit and you just, you can't finish. Um, And that's why I like, it's so fresh. Like I don't think this team's headed for another drought. I still think they're a top five team in the conference, top 10 team in the league. Um, I think next year is going to get better and they'll be fine. Right. It's. It's It's a big off season for Brandon Bean. Oh, for sure. But like, Mm -hmm. I, I don't even like from an out, if we weren't fans of this team, right. Like from an outsider's non-biased, ridiculous slapdick person's viewpoint right like if if you were an unbiased just fan of the nfl looking at this team like you got to still believe that this team is good they're a force to be reckoned with like yeah they had a couple tough breaks against jacksonville they got destroyed against the colts but like other than that like it hasn't been a terrible season right like it's not what we were expecting it's not what we wanted or should have seen from a fan standpoint but i feel like if you take a huge step back and look outside looking in, like there's still a powerhouse team. And that's why, like, when I listen to Pat McAfee, who isn't, who is like a biased third party, right. He's a former Colts player, whatever he has his friends around the league, but really like him and his crew are biased third parties. They're not bearing the bills. I mean, there's a Patriots fan on the show. Who's a piece of shit, but they all are. But if you ignore him, right, they're not burying this team. They still believe in what the team can do. They still believe they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the playoffs once we get to the playoffs. So it's like that's like you to try to like reframe it all is like it's not the end of the world. There's still a competitor. Like we're okay. There's just these little pieces that just have to get clicked back in and we're fine. I think when you, like you just said, if you're an outsider perspective, this kind of also like relates in like when you're looking at other sports, as far as hot, like when you're looking at a hockey team from an outside perspective, you look at who is their number one center, who's their number one defenseman, who's their goalie. If you have one elite player at those three positions, that's a team you want to build around. When you look at the NFL, I think it's four. I think it's, do you have one elite secondary player? You have one elite like linebacker and or defensive lineman, the quarterback, and then a wide receiver. You look at the Bills, you have Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, Tredavious White, and then I guess you'd be up front, probably like Ed Oliver is your fourth, I guess. If you compare that to a lot of the other teams in the NFL, the Bills are going to be in the top five, seven conversation. Like you can look at the Colts, like a Colts are a good team. You can look at their defense, say, well, they got DeForest Buckner and they got Jonathan Taylor. It's like, well, then they got Carson Wentz. Like, who are you taking between Josh Allen and Carson Wentz? I'm taking Josh Allen. They don't really have that secondary player. I mean, the Chiefs, obviously, you have Mahomes. You have Tyreek Hill. You have Ty- or Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew. Like, okay. But then even, like, the Patriots, like, Judon, Mac Jones, what else? Yeah. Like, it like 
outsider perspective, this is a team you can you would want to build. Like if you just pick, like if you're going through, you're picking the mat and what team do you want to build? Like the Bills would be one of those top teams. And you're talking about a team that Jerry Hughes most likely is not going to be here next year. I'd like to think you're going to shred stars rest of his contract. Um, I mean, you still have Edmonds going to be on a fifth year. You have Gabriel Davis on a rookie contract. Emmanuel Sanders probably isn't coming back. That's another six, $7 million. You have some yeah. other players on the offensive and defensive lines. You're probably shedding for money. The cap's going up. You're bringing in some more rookies. Like you have some money to spend and work with. The team is still very young at the core and you can definitely go up. It's just right now. It's so hard to like think that way based on what we've seen this year, the expectation. I mean, we're talking about a team that when we went through our game by game predictions, we had them getting three to four losses on the year. And we're well past that point, obviously now. Um, But like you said, it's, I don't think it's panic mode. I mean, even Dan Orlovsky was like, despite them losing, like this is the most confidence I've had in the Bills in four or five weeks, and I would still pick them to come out of the AFC or something along those lines or be at the in the right. title game and whatnot. Um, so if they – let's say they win out. They run the table, they win out. They beat the Panthers. They beat the Patriots. They beat the Jets. They beat the Falcons. And we're sitting at probably it's probably still gonna be a seven seed. It's either seven or six, because that's how ridiculous this ending is going to be. Believe me, I've spent a lot of time on this NFL playoff machine. It's going to be a stupid ending. Right. So we went out, we're in a seventh seed playing Tennessee, maybe Kansas City. But the winning out, they look good. They're back to how they should have been. Does that erase all the ridiculousness that happened in the middle of the season? Like, what is it going to take to erase the Jags game, the Colts game, right? The, I don't know, throw another ridiculous loss in there. The Patriots game. Although, eh, throw that Patriots loss. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is running the table. And feeling confident going into wild card weekend, erase what happened this season. No, not at all. Why, why not? I just think for a team that you lost in the first round in heartbreaking fashion to the Texans, with a young team, you go through the battles of the Colts and Ravens games last year and lose to Kansas City in the AFC Championship. You're all once you reach the AFC Championship. Your goal, obviously, every your goal every year is to Super Bowl. Once you reach the AFC Championship, there's absolutely no reason why this team can't be getting back to that point consistently year after year. And then especially when you go in to Kansas City's house for the team that just knocked you out of the AFC Championship and you put the whoop-ass on them like they did earlier in the season and it looked like you were there and then you fall off the face of the earth, I just can't – like, I just don't – think if you run the table and just like i'm so i'm just over the you've said it in the past like the oh we're the bills we're a fun story like we're a local or like a small market team like if we run the table but then lose in the first round of the playoffs the season was a failure if you're not getting back to the same point at least you were last year and you're not in like at least like last year we kind of got killed in the afc title game 
if you go there and you win, you go to the Super Bowl and you win or lose the Super Bowl, or you go in and you lose in the AFC title game, but you play a game like you did against the Bucs and it's an absolute thriller and shootout, I would feel a lot better about the Bills season saying, you know what, they went through a long season, they had some tough games, it's a good learning experience for a still young team to go through an adversity when you have the expectations on your back, where if they run the table and then they go in the first round and they get blown out or they lose, I'm sitting here next year going, I don't know what this team is. We have a bunch of really good players, but we just saw this year that expectations looked like it was too much for them. And next year, if they get some better players or they find that star corner opposite Trey White or Josh Allen makes an even bigger leap and you maybe you re-sign Stephon Diggs again, like the expectation is still going to sit there. And if you're not able to handle it now, I just have a tough time seeing that. Maybe I'm maybe you have a completely different philosophy, but if I run if you run the table to me and you're not winning at least in the first round, like if you get to the second round and lose, I still would feel like it's not a, it'd be a failure of a season to me, but I'd feel better than I would just going to Tennessee, Baltimore, whoever in the first round and just getting killed or to lose because we, you know, beat the Jets. The pan- that's the other thing. If it was we're facing the Patriots, the Broncos, the um, the Chargers, and another crappy team. Maybe I'd say something differently, but it's not. You're playing a Cam Newton-led Panthers team who's been benched two of the last three games. You're facing a derailed, you know, Falcons team and Matt Ryan, who's on his last leg. You have a great matchup against Mac Jones. Then week 17, you get Mr. INT Zach Wilson coming to Buffalo. So maybe that's another reason why I just don't like them winning those games. I'm just like, eh, because earlier in the year, those games against Jacksonville and Pittsburgh and whatnot were supposed to be those games that you could cakewalk and cruise control. And we didn't do it. Yeah. But, but I think the Falcon, the week 17 against the Falcons week 18 against the jets and even the Panthers this weekend, right? Like I feel like, wins in those games can build that momentum can kind of get the team back to feeling powerful. It doesn't matter that it's a shit team, right? Like we've seen crazy things happen this year. I think you get wins, decisive wins, you score touchdowns, you look like a cohesive team go into wild card Sunday and get a win. Like, I don't want to say it, erases everything but i think you're back to holding your head about holding your head up high right your pants feel a little tighter like you are back i, I really truly I, believe I, I don't disagree with that at all like i'm I'm just saying as far as like when you say do you if like season, so yeah I, well, I, I i don't think getting to the championship game or the Super Bowl is end-all, be-all when it comes to success. I think it's how you finish this season out. No matter when your season ends, it's how you finish. Manuel Sanders is not playing this weekend, right? They've already pretty much said he's out. That's huge for Gabriel Davis. So that there's so many, there's so many mini storylines that lead to the end of the season, right? So if Manuel Sanders is out and Gabe Dave lights it up and the offense is still on track and still on fire, if not more explosive, Manny's gone. 
unfortunately. I hope they keep him, but he's gone. And Gabe is back to your number two, number three receiver. If you can go into New England, look competitive. Either sneak out a win or play him close to the end and get some type of redemption there. I hate moral victories, but I feel like a moral victory in New England is huge to add to this journey to the end of the season. And then the Falcons and the Jets steamroll them. Do what you need to do. Do what you did against the football team and the Texans. Walk in with your head held high to wild card weekend and play the Ravens at home. Get a redemption against the Titans uh, right in Tennessee, the Baltimore at their home. Get a redemption against Tennessee. I think that says more about this team is how they can finish this out than sneak your way, somehow find your way into the championship game, right? Like, I don't want to be like Jacksonville a few years ago, right? How somehow by some miracle they made it stupid far into the playoffs and then now look at them, right? Like, that's what I don't want to happen. I would rather lose a close, hard-fought game on wild card weekend, then I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I think you get the idea, right? Like, I, I think how you finish is going to say way more than where you finish in the playoffs, right? Like, it's, yeah. it, there's eight moral victories. I hate it, but I think that has to play a role here with the last four weeks and into the playoffs, right? You have to put stuff together, you have to prove that you're not dysfunctional and the world isn't ending and the sky is on fire. No, and, and I do that. And I agree. And I think that ending the season going four and Oh, or three and one and following the little mini storylines, whether that's Gabe Davis, Greg Rousseau, or how Tremaine Edmonds closes the season, things of that nature is definitely big. And I stuff you can't ignore as far as victories, as far as like a little mini team perspective, I just have a tougher time if you, even if you do those things and then you walk into a Baltimore or a Kansas city or a Tennessee. And then you have like a, like I said, it really depends on the outcome of the game. Like if you play a close game and you lose, I'm still going to like not be thrilled because of what happened during the season. But I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's almost like the thing I, I always talk about with like the runs, like, the Bills defense is good, and if it wasn't for that one run, like, but it happens every game. It's like, well, the Bills had a good season if it wasn't for looking back at, like, the Jacksonville and the Pittsburgh game, but, like, it happened. Like, it's not like you can't say it didn't happen sure. type deal. Um, I mean, I think I definitely feel a lot better if you go – like, if you don't go three and one in these last four, I'm going to be very concerned. Because if you go two, if you go two and two, you're probably not making the playoffs. Right, and then, and then you're ta- and yeah. then the sky is on fire. Because yeah. if you can't beat those, if you can't beat the Panthers, the Falcons, and the Jets, you're on some real issues. Because you blew your chances earlier in the season, where if you did have a slip up at the end of this year with one of those teams, that's well gone because of the Pittsburgh and Jacksonville games, which 
watching those two teams play week after week now is just mind-numbing how we fucking lost to them because they are so bad, like beyond bad. Apparently, Urban, apparently Urban Meyer is the only person that's ever won a football game ever, um, according to him in that Jacksonville locker room. But my God, I mean, at the end of the day, we're Bills fans through and through. We love this team. We'll die for this team. We'll take bullets for Josh Allen. We have the full thing in front of us. This is still a team that, when all things are clicking, can very much win a Super Bowl. It's just a matter of can they execute down the stretch? Can you bring back part of last year and start closing games? And maybe these last four weeks, I think finding your game in the red zone is going to be very huge of finding plays that work and finding that rhythm. And I think they're going to beat the Panthers this week pretty handily. I think it's going to be probably a 14-plus point win. Um, I just don't think they have the quarterback play. Obviously, McCaffrey's out. Um, DJ Moore is a very solid receiver. but And then even defensively, I don't think Gilmore can cover Stephon Diggs. So, feel good. Yeah. Feel better now that I released half of my um, <laughs> anger, especially about Sean McDermott. But uh, pray for no COVID for the Bills this week. Um before we close, I do want to throw in um, just a tad bit of Sabres hockey because yes. we still are a Buffalo team um, after all. <laughs> um, so this past weekend, obviously just another shitty weekend for Buffalo sports in general. Um, I was with you during the um, Rangers game at the bar where actually, I mean, we had left before the game had ended, but so Victor Olsen scores to tie the game. They call it offside, um, so they end up changing the call. Sabres lose 2-1. to one. Next day, NHL comes out, says, oh, actually, Donaline did tag up before the ball or the puck hit Olsen's stick, so it shouldn't have been ruled offside. Should have been a goal. Well, that's great, NHL. Why don't you give us two points? Um, not a huge deal. I mean, the Sabres aren't going anywhere. It's more of just when you're a young team trying to – put confidence together, especially against a Rangers team who I believe had won 11 out of 14. Like it would have been a good confidence boost for a young team to pick up a win like that um, in a way that they could. I mean, not to say they would have won the game because it would only tied it, but who knows? And then the Capitals game, Uka Pekalukanen plays out of his mind. You go to overtime, Tage Thompson, um, you know, hits the post, you know, don't win. Then you go to a shootout and Thompson and cousins both hit the post in the shootout and you lose that game. Not to mention in the Rangers game at the end of the game, the one player his uh, his name is, you know, slipping away from me at this point, but he purposely takes a stick and hooks Dylan cousins, like purposely trying to hurt him and good on cousins that he got up and started throwing punches and slashed him and got right in his face. Cause I feel like, Previous Sabres teams probably wouldn't have done very much based on the recency. Um, but overall, I think it's good that Uka Pekalukanen is getting some run here um, to really see what he has. Um, obviously a bummer that Middlestat looks like he is probably out for the season um, with another setback with that injury. Um, the Americans are still buzzing. Peyton Krebs has seven points in his last four games. Um, Paterka, 
Jack Quinn continues to light up the AHL. Um, very exciting things going down in Rochester. I actually think I want to try to get to a game when I'm going back to Buffalo in a few weeks just to see. Uh, but definitely a lot to be excited about, I think, still with these young players. Um, overall, I think the product on the ice is definitely dipped um, as far as like a watching perspective compared to earlier in the season. Um, but I think overall they're still exceeding um, my expectations. I don't know what you think. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the the point I made a few weeks ago that they're still trying to figure out how to win these games, right, how to play together still stands. Um, like you said, when Gaudreau slid, I guess it wasn't technically a slew foot, foot, but close enough, <laughs> close enough, right, to Cousins, right, to see that fire, see the retaliation. I loved it. It's great, right? Get aggressive, get mean, make a name for yourself in this league, right? This team has been the butt of so many jokes lately. Um, and how many years in the past? This is a rebirth, right? It's a rebuild. We're coming back, and you can't do this shit to us anymore, right? Like, this is over. This is a new team. This is who we are. So I love that Cousins did that. I love that the team came to his uh, side there um, and it just played aggressive, right? And, and it's going to take time, and they'll get there. Um I am interested to see what they do with uh, UPL. He's been playing great, but right. Do we, do you send him back down to keep developing? He's looked great. He's getting better. He's getting this experience. And I know that's helping him, but it's like, do you risk keeping him up here and maybe stopping some of that development because we're so short Right, I know Subban's coming back. Uh, he's soon. back tonight. He's back. Okay. He's yeah, back. he's he's backing up Lucan in tonight against the um, Jets. Aaron Dell got sent to Rochester, and then Takarshi is still week to week because he's in right. COVID protocol. Right. So I don't know. Maybe if when Takarski comes back, do you send Ukapeka Lucan in right back? Do you I keep would, him yes. up because to award him for how well he's been playing? Like I get awarding him because he's playing well, but it's like, I don't want to risk, like I said, stopping that development short because he's playing so well right now. Like I feel like he still needs to be in Rochester to keep that chemistry going that they're building down there, keep the development going, keep just destroying it down there. Like he has been doing and that team has been doing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. I love seeing him up here. He's right. Like I said, he's getting that experience. He deserves to be up here. He's really kind of turned things around this season um, as we go through and as he gets more time. Um, really interesting to see what they do there, right? Because, I mean, goaltending is a huge part of why this team hasn't really kind of finished. Um, it's not the only reason, but it's up there, right? Um, and I think, right, I think they're waiting for the development to be done in Rochester, for that cake to be – they're doing it right. They're letting the cake cook in the oven, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, let's leave it in there a little bit longer, but it looks pretty good. So we want to leave it out to what well, I'm not going into a cooking uh, uh, analogy, but you get what I'm trying to say. So we'll see how they do it. Um, I just take it a game at a time. Keep trying to play. Um, spoiler, keep developing, get those passes sharper, get those shots on the net punch people in the face when they disrespect you and just keep playing your game. 
yeah, I think the UPL storyline is definitely one to monitor, especially because he's in a very weird spot because of what the Sabres have now in their goalie prospect pool between mm-hmm. Levy lighting it up or Levy, excuse me, lighting it up and then Portillo at Michigan also lighting it up. Um, I feel like UPL probably senses that little bit of pressure. And it's tough because I personally, excuse me, would love to see him back down in Rochester and finish the season strong and, you know, go win a Calder Cup in the AHL and kind of reminisce like the 06 teams did with the Sabres when, you know, the Gostads, the Vanix, the Ryan Millers all came up at the same time. And all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, we have this young core mixed in with what will be the Alex Tucks. And by that time, Dylan Cousins going into year four and five with Middlestat and that, that maybe this can be something with Jeff Skinner and that, because he's been playing really well lately as well. And then it's that also that thing of you do want to reward him for playing well. And it's like goaltending has been our issue. If we keep UPL up here, maybe it'll help these younger players get a little bit of that sense of winning and we can win a couple more games. But then it's also like, how good do you want to get? Do you actually want to still get a top five pick? Do you want to, flirt with getting at the bottom end of the playoffs, which I don't think will ever really come that close. But right now it's kind of just because of how far you are the season, you're still technically there. Um, definitely an interesting storyline. Um, I know they're, they're playing Winnipeg right now. Um, I haven't gotten any score updates for that unless there's a 7:30 game and maybe I'm just completely, Nope. It's an eight o'clock game. Never mind. They haven't started yet, but they are playing Winnipeg tonight. Um, eight o'clock Winnipeg's a good team. So it'll be a good test for them. Um, they've obviously had some stuff going around after the situation they just had with Toronto and all the suspensions and stuff going on there. So I think it'll be a good right. test, especially UPL's getting his fourth start tonight. So I um, think that's pretty much it for um, today's episode. But I think before we go, Bill's Panthers prediction and key player for the game. Um, let's go 27-17. I think Gabe Dave has a big game. I'm going to go 30 to 13, and I'm going to roll with Devin Singletary. Okay, nice. I think just with um, Josh's foot, he got the ball pretty early and often in the past game last week. Um, obviously, no runs in the first half. Um, so I think Zach Moss is another thing to kind of keep an eye on because now he's gotten healthy, scratched a few times. Seems like things are heading in the wrong direction there for a third round pick. So um, yeah. we'll see. But um, yeah, I, uh, I'm going to the Steelers game this weekend, um, unfortunately. So I won't be able to watch most of the game live once I brought friends to a Bills game. So now it's my turn to repay the favor and go to a shitty Steelers game. So I'll, uh, that's what phones and streaming sites are for. So that's right. Um, well, we appreciate everyone for tuning in. If you do not follow us on Instagram, please give us a follow there at English Encore Podcast. It's been English Encore Podcast, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. These guys are good. Scary good. What a connection. Allen and Diggs. No one circles the way like the Buffalo Bills. <laughs>